all you hardheads, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 28, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you had a fantastic week. I apologize for no show, no shows during the course of the week. I have, for the first time since the year started, gotten off my sleep schedule. And one of my big 2021 New Year's resolutions was to have a consistent sleep schedule, make sure that I get my eight hours every single night, not only so I can pursue this show and make the show everything I want it to be, but also just for my general health, because I've never been a good sleeper. Even since when I was a baby, my parents had a nickname for me. I was called Crankosaurus because I would literally not stop crying and not shut up. Uh, And sleeping has always been an issue for me, so I really wanted to make 2021 a year in which I slept constantly or slept very well, very often. And for the first time in about three months, I got off that schedule and I just did not feel up to making a show or getting the show together. So I took those days for myself. I hope you all understand. It's not like there's any certain expectations for the show yet, but this is how I I think. This is how I organize myself. I always want to deliver on the expectations that I set for myself. So I'm sure that you all can understand. That's kind of, I don't necessarily have any OCD, but that's just kind of the way that I organize and think about things deliberately in boxes, kind of like that. Uh, But regardless of that, before we start the show today, I do want to make a little bit of an announcement. The Front Office Frenzy segment, which has been a segment on the show for a while now, is going to be going away. I'm going to have to cancel that segment, and it's not because I don't enjoy the segment. It's not because the segment doesn't do well on the show, because it does. There are some episodes where it just doesn't hit the algorithm at all, or it's not as popular as some others, but other segments do really, really well and bring in a lot of good viewership for the channel. And if you've come in to this channel from the Front Office Frenzy segment, it's, a, it's an entertaining segment. I mean, there's so much entertainment value and conversation to be delivered between one person and another on what off-season moves you think a team should make, signings, re-signings, trades, cuts, releases, etc., etc. It's always entertaining to see what you think, to see what other people think, as opposed to what the team actually does. And there's a lot of entertainment value in that. And so when I wanted to start making that segment around the beginning of February, I said, okay... The draft is April 29th. I have about three months, give or take, for me to be able to do all 32 teams in the NFL and not rush myself. Sure, I would be taking a lot of time to probably do two or three a week, but I wouldn't have to do a front office frenzy segment every single episode um, because it's, it's, a, it's a very mentally draining <laughs> segment, again, because I do most of it off the top of my head, and I it's a lot of thinking, it's a lot of talking. The first... Uh, front of frenzy that I ever did was extremely exhausting and I wasn't expecting it to be such and it was so exhausting that I actually had to end up taking a break and doing different audio files for the show so it's a very draining segment and I didn't want to be doing it all that often and I thought with me starting in February it would give me enough time to do all the teams and I would get all the teams done by the time the draft was over but (laughs) a huge oversight and I can't believe that I didn't think about this and I'm a little upset with myself that I didn't think about this is the fact that, hey, March 17th is the new start of the year for the NFL, and that's exactly when free agency starts. So I can't necessarily do a segment in which I give free agency advice when the free agency period has already happened. You know, because the free agency advice is a huge part of what that segment is. You know, what I think teams should do to fill gaps, who they need to cut, who they need to sign, some options there. That's a that's about 50% of the segment. You know, the other 50% is talking about 
you know, the biggest need for that team and where the team should go in the draft, what they should look for in the draft. And realistically, I could probably continue the segment moving on just talking about the draft. But for me personally, I don't find that as interesting. And it also doesn't fulfill the time constraint that I want the segment to have because it's like, all right, it's 15 to 20 minutes long. It was an easy plug in the gap type of segment. It's like, okay, I've got 30 minutes of show. I could probably use another 15. What should I do? Front office frenzy segment. It's perfect. Uh, So not only does it, would it not fulfill the time constraint that I would want it to, I think it's a little futile to talk about free agency moves that already happened as opposed to giving recommendations on free agency moves. And I think it would be a little bit futile to just talk about the draft when it is just a front office frenzy talking about the entire offseason as one. So we do not have the time to do the rest of the teams. We got, I think, what, like 10 teams done. So we got, what is that? Maybe 15%, 20% there. Uh, not all the way there. Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit more than that. But next season, if the show is still running next season, or by the time the next offseason rolls around, I think I'll start the segment as soon as the playoffs start. And what I'll do is instead of just putting all 32 teams in the hat, I'll take the 16 or so teams that got eliminated from the playoffs and put them in the hat. And we'll start doing those teams first. And as teams are eliminated from the playoffs, I'll add their name to the hat. And then that's how we'll kind of implement that's kind of that's kind of how we'll implement those teams moving forward. And hopefully with that amount of time, so that that would probably make the show or the front office frenzy segment rather starting around the end of December, early January. That will more than likely give me enough time to get all 32 NFL teams done by the time free agency starts next time, as opposed to the oversight that I found this time, which is okay, we're just going to do this until the draft comes around. So I hope you understand. I, I know that I'm a huge fan of that segment. A little bit biased, but I'm a huge fan of that segment. I know a lot of you came into the show due to that segment. So I apologize for its disappearance, but uh, I, I'm sure all of you can understand and agree with me that it's it's a little bit silly to be talking about what teams should do in the offseason when it comes to free agency when free agency is already happening. And I, and I found, and I discovered this when I was, you know, gathering free agency recaps on Monday and today I'm like, well, that sucks. <laughs> I, I, I can't really talk about my, that segment now. Um, so with that being said, let's just start the show today. We got a lot of NFL stuff to catch up on. A lot of it is going to be NFL free agency recap. There's a couple of NFL stories I do want to talk about today. And March Madness is starting today. I do want to talk about my bracket really quickly. I want you guys to pull out your brackets as well. If you're fans of college basketball, show me what you got. Show me who you're taking. We'll compare. We'll contrast. We'll talk about who we like, who we don't like. And, you know, we'll see how things play out. It was very difficult to make a March Madness bracket this year extremely difficult. I've probably reset my main bracket close to six or seven times. Just just sitting there and staring at my computer screen, my monitor, thinking, oh man, I don't feel really confident in that pick, and then changing it, and then listening to an expert's opinion and saying, you know, they have some pretty good points. Let me change that back. It's, it's probably the hardest bracket I've ever had to fill out, uh, just because, you know, with COVID regulations happening throughout the seasons, teams missing time, you know, here or there. It's like, how strong is this team really? Because some of their big losses were without big players. How close would those games have been if they had their full unit out there? Uh, of course, there was a lot of game postponements, in, especially in the ACC. There was a lot of game postponements. So very difficult to choose a bracket. We'll talk about that towards the end of the show. But I want to start today with Andy Dalton signing with Chicago. 
Chicago fans, you finally got your quarterback. I know it was probably the last person on the totem pole that you thought or that you wanted to be your quarterback, but you got your quarterback, Chicago. (laughs) Andy Dalton signing with Chicago, one-year, $10 million deal. It's much to the uh, ire and sadness of Chicago's Bears fans. I don't think I've seen a reaction from Bears fans around the internet, whether that be on YouTube comments, social media, just word of mouth. I don't think I've seen a positive reaction to this news uh, of Andy Dalton signing with Chicago. And I don't necessarily think that it's because Andy Dalton is quote unquote a bad quarterback, because realistically speaking, you could do a lot, lot, a lot, lot, a lot, lot worse than Andy Dalton. It's just the fact that the Bears haven't had a good quarterback since 1985 with McMahon. And even back then, McMahon probably wasn't considered to be a great quarterback. I mean, it's always been the the defense for Chicago that has delivered bowls to Chicago. When Rex Grossman and Jake Cutler are your quote-unquote better quarterbacks of the modern era, that's when you know you have a little bit of a problem. So it's not necessarily Andy Dalton per se. It's more of an overwhelming frustration that they just still cannot get a quarterback. And you're wasting some really, really good defenses built up by Matt Nagy, uh, headlined by Khalil Mack on the outside. And uh, Chicago is really making a lot of confusing decisions. Ryan Pace is probably going to be fired by the end of next season. And that's what I see this move as, signing Andy Dalton Uh to, uh, to the to a one-year deal. Ryan Pace's one job, really, was to deliver a good quarterback to Chicago, and he has failed that outstandingly. Not only did he trade up to get Trubisky, who I don't necessarily want to call a full-time bust yet. I think a lot of I think Trubisky has a lot of confidence issues. And Trubisky going to Buffalo, signing a one-year deal there as well yesterday. Trubisky going to Buffalo kind of proves the theory that the media actually thought for years out, which is, look, Trubisky has confidence issues. He does not feel comfortable in a Chicago Bears uniform. Him going to Buffalo to learn with Josh Allen or have the same kind of glow up that Josh Allen had this past season, that kind of proves to me that he really just does want a reset and he wants a chance to learn and he wants a chance to not be the starting guy for a while, build himself back up, basically an entire reset. We'll get to that towards the the end of the segment here. But Ryan Pace, his one job was to deliver a quarterback to Chicago. And not only did he trade up to get Trubisky and surpass guys like Mahomes and Watson, he will probably rue that for the rest of his career if he gets another general manager job. But he signed Mike Glennon to a three-year, $45 million deal. He signed Foles to something... He traded for Foles for a similar type of deal, so he's giving a lot of money to backup-level quarterbacks, and he failed to make an offer for Carson Wentz this offseason when it was basically the Bears and the Colts in the running to get Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz, as I said at the time, he is not the jewel of the NFL. He would not be my first selection either, but is he better than Andy Dalton? He definitely has the upside to be. Andy Dalton's a little bit older. You know what you're getting with Dalton. Carson Wentz, at his ceiling, is an MVP caliber quarterback. We just haven't seen that from Wentz since 2017. So I feel like even if Chicago did go and make a move for Wentz, I feel like Chicago fans would be more comfortable with Wentz than they are with Dalton because Chicago fans have been watching Andy Dalton play in the league for close to seven to eight years now. You know what you're getting for Dalton. You're probably getting an eight, eight, eight and eight season at best, depending on how good the defense plays. That's going to fluctuate your win total over the course of the season. And you can feel the stress. You can feel the tension in Chicago right now. Because Ryan Pace has not made any of these moves. And to me, Andy Dalton 
the being signed by Ryan Pace is Ryan Pace waving the white flag. It's a self-inflicted surrender, but when you think about the actions and the choices that he's made across the board, he has really put himself in this position. I mean, if you if you take what they offered Seattle for Russell Wilson at face value and with a pinch of salt, even if they got Russell Wilson, he would have been selling the farm, the barn, the uh, the 401k, the mortgage. He would have been selling the circus that's out back. He would have been selling all your sheep and your cattle. He would have pretty much sold away the entire franchise just to get Russell Wilson. And even then, I know he's Russell Wilson, but at what point do you say, look, that's a little bit too much for that quarterback. I would have rather had the three first-round picks, the second picks, the second-round picks, and the third-round picks. I mean, you've just tanked your franchise for getting Russell Wilson, which has similar issues to the team in Seattle, an iffy offensive line and little to no running game, you know? So even if, you know, Ryan Pace went out and got Russell Wilson, I'm sure, you know, Chicago fans would have been delighted to have Russell Wilson, but at what cost? So really it's all gone downhill since Trubisky was drafted and he traded up for Trubisky. That was literally the the straw that broke the camel's back already because it's not gotten better since then. Ryan Pace is waving the white flag. It, it you know, kind of strikes me as like, okay, so when your little kid makes macaroni art and, you know, they think it's so good and it's like, here, here's my macaroni art. Like, what do you think of it? And you just take a look and you smile and you go, oh, that's, that's sweet, baby. That looks so good. And, you know, you're trying so hard to like justify the macaroni art when you really know that it's just like, oh, it looks great. <laughs> it looks great. It looks fantastic when it really looks like a, I don't know. I don't I don't know what you could say about macaroni art that makes it any more or less intriguing than macaroni art already is. But Ryan Pace delivering the macaroni art of Mitchell Trubisky at the number two overall pick back in 2017 is look, guys, I got a quarterback and Chicago fans are just like, it looks great. <laughs> it looks great, honey. And every single move after that for Ryan Pace has felt like justification for trying for drafting Mitchell Mitchell Trubisky that hard or trying to make up for drafting Mitchell Trubisky that high in the draft. Again, Mike Lennon, three years, $45 million deal. That was a, a, I don't even know what to describe that as, horrible move. Then you have Nick Foles, who didn't exactly pan out. Nick Foles really proved to be a system quarterback that was benefiting from the Eagles system more than anything else. And now you have Andy Dalton, who, again, not the worst quarterback in the NFL, but the problem with Dalton is that Chicago fans already know what they're getting with Dalton, and that's just not good enough for what their expectations are for the team and how talented they recognize that the Chicago Bears are if any, pretty much everywhere except for the offensive line and the quarterback position. So again, it's not necessarily Andy Dalton being Andy Dalton that's the problem. It's the fact that the Chicago Bears have not had a quarterback for so long. It's just that that tension and that stress is just piling up and up. And with every single wasted season that's in Chicago, the more and more that tension from Soldier Field and the Chicago Bears fans, that, that tension just continues to grind and grind. And Ryan Pace is is waving a white flag with this signing. He understands that he, he he didn't go after Wentz. He couldn't get Russell Wilson, so there's not much else he can do. And he's waving the white flag, surrendering and saying, look, this is all I got. Maybe it, this will buy me more time for another year, but this is all I got. That And now the ball is basically in the owner's court, whether or not he... Ryan Pace gets his job. And the worst thing is that Matt Nagy might get fired too. And Matt Nagy really has been what I consider a really good football coach over the last two or three seasons. I mean, he's gotten the bears to the playoffs in two of the past three seasons when the bears had some pretty horrendous offenses and, and quarterback play. 
And obviously, you know, the defense had a lot to do with that, but uh, I really don't want to see Matt Nagy lose his job. Andy Dalton is going to be okay. He's going to give you average play. Depending on how well the defense plays, it's going to fluctuate your win total, as I said, but you're looking at a potential 8-8 eight and eight season. That might be good enough for the first round of the playoffs, but that's not what Chicago Bears fans are wanting. They're wanting a strong quarterback. They're wanting a quarterback that could be a franchise quarterback that they can build off of for years and years to come, and the fact that they haven't gotten one since... I, I keep going back to McMahon in 1985. They haven't gotten one in close to 40 years now. That tension is starting to overflow, and that's why this reaction is so vile for Andy Dalton. Again, it's not personal to Andy Dalton. It's just the stress is piling up more and more and more. And the fact that Ryan Pace hasn't been able to get a quarterback in his time in Chicago when that was literally the one and only thing that he was supposed to do, that's what he was paid to do. Um, it's a gigantic failure. He's probably going to get fired for it. And... It's basically all his fault. Now, the second part of that is, is Trubisky moving to Buffalo? We already talked about it a little bit in that segment, and I'm not going to dwell too much on it here. But Trubisky going to Buffalo is is a boring move. And I like the way that Marcus Spears illustrated what exactly this moves mean on on ESPN because he's right. Everybody loves the drama. Everybody loves the little interesting tidbits here or there. But it's a boring reason why Trubisky went to Buffalo. It is confidence issues. Every, the knock on Trubisky was like, okay, so yeah, he's not worthy of the number two overall draft selection. He's a great athlete. He's got a subpar arm. He's got subpar football IQ when it comes to passing the football. But... Trubisky, the knock on Trubisky was always he just doesn't look confident. And him going to Buffalo is 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 pretty much confirming what we thought about his confidence to be true. He doesn't look confident. So let's go. So in his mind, he's like, okay, let me go to Buffalo. Look what they did with Josh Allen after him, Josh Allen having two average seasons. Maybe they can do the same for me. And really just a change in scenery would be enough for Trubisky. That's the boring reason why he's going to Buffalo. He's probably the best backup in the league at this point. I, you know, I think Jacoby Brissett in Miami is a great backup. He just got signed. We'll be talking about that later. Uh, Marcus Mariota got released by by uh, Las Vegas, so he's not a backup anymore. He's going to be a free agent. There are some great backup quarterbacks in the NFL. I think Buffalo having Trubisky on the roster, um, it's going to be good for him. It's going to be it's going to allow him to develop a little bit and not have to be the guy anymore for a little bit, so he can reset himself. And Brandon Bean actually made an interesting comment. He basically said, "Look, Trubisky started 50 games. He won a lot of excuse me. He won a lot of those games." We don't expect Mitchell to be here longer than he needs to be. He's this is just a pit stop, pit stop for him. And I think the 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 analysis of the situation on Brandon Bean, who is the general manager for Buffalo, is really really good. It's really solid, and that's exactly what the expectation should be for Trubisky moving forward. So Trubisky goes to Bills one year, and he don't again signing with Chicago one year, ten million dollar deal. I feel bad for Chicago Bears fans, but this is the best that it's going to get. Uh, it can only get worse, unfortunately, from here this season. So, um, moving on to De to Deshaun Watson, and I I didn't necessarily want to talk about this because the news about Deshaun Watson and these allegations and these lawsuits have been piling up over the course of the week. I didn't necessarily want to talk about this at first. It was just one allegation, just one lawsuit. And if, you, if you've been watching the show for a while, you'll understand that I don't really like talking about Deshaun Watson. Not because I don't like Deshaun Watson, not because I don't find his situation in Texas uh, with the Texans interesting. 
It's just that I think that it, it's overblown, and I tend to like to focus on other things rather than the big news. Uh, of course, I'll talk about the big news, but I don't like talking about the same big news every single day. So every single day, there's a new rumor or new piece of tidbit information about where Deshaun Watson's going to be traded. So I see these allegations, and I'm like, okay, it's more Deshaun Watson news. Let's just pass on it for now. Then one lawsuit for misconduct and sexual assault turned into three lawsuits for conduct and, and, and sexual assault. And that was enough for me to look at my notes last night and say, okay, it's probably best that I talk about this. And then, and then I got a notification right as I was about to go live this morning. Now that number has ballooned to seven lawsuits of misconduct, sexual assault, which now it's a problem. Now it deserves to be talked about because it's a serious issue. When you order a pizza with your friend, right? You say, oh, I'm I'm only going to have one piece of pizza. Not that hungry. You know, you're not really interested. You're like, okay, I'll have a piece of pizza. You know, tied me over to the next meal. And then, then you end up having three pieces of pizza. Okay. Now, now I, I've definitely had more than I need to. You know, I, I should stop eating the pizza. And then you have seven slices of pizza and you're like, dude, you must have been really, really hungry. It's like, oh, I feel terrible. Like, this is way too much. Like, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have had this. this is, you know, you feel you feel awful about yourself. And then you recognize that, wow, this is this is I ate seven pieces of pizza. And I'm not really trying to compare sexual misconduct to eating a piece of pizza, uh, eating a, a large pizza. But that's kind of what it feels like to me. It's like one one is OK. Not a really big deal. Three slices. OK. Now you've you've probably had a full meal. Seven is way too much. Seven is way too much, and now with seven lawsuits of misconduct and sexual assault on Deshaun Watson's dinner plate, it's becoming a gigantic issue. And these lawsuits have been very, very public. Um, Tony Tony Fusby, I think his name is, the lawyer that is representing all these women. And if you've been out of the news, essentially Deshaun Watson is being accused by multiple women of sexual misconduct, uh, sexual misconduct via massages. Um, some some reports say that Deshaun Watson tried to forcibly kiss a woman during his massage ses- massage session. One report said that oral sex was exchanged during one of those massage sessions, and others just uh, cite inappropriate contact or inappropriate comments with these mas- uh, massage therapists. So the varying degree in uh, the type of misconduct varies here. But there's a couple of things that strike out to me, and I'm not necessarily interested in whether or not Deshaun Watson did it or not. Obviously, if he did do it, that's horrible, and I am obviously on the side of the women who were treated in that way. Um, it, it it does go against the, the personality that Deshaun Watson tends to have. It, it, it goes against that, um, so that's a little bit inconsistent, but obviously who you are in front of the cameras is not necessarily who you are behind the scenes. But the thing that strikes me is that, I don't know, my, my father was a lawyer growing up, right? He, he was a copyright attorney for close to 30 years. And and dad, I guess when you listen to the segment, make sure you text me and, and tell me your opinion on this. But when, in my mind, you always want to stay away from the big name lawyers who like to be very personable and, and public about everything. Uh, I mean, this this lawyer, uh, Busby, I think his name is, is, is releasing confidential statements between him and ESPN. He's releasing evidence online uh, of text messages between uh, supposedly between Watson and these masseuses. 
It's like you always want to stay away from the big lawyers on the billboards who care about more, who care more about their image than caring about the wellness and the protection of their clients. And I'm not necessarily saying that that Tony Busby doesn't care about his clients. I'm just saying that he cares about his image, his name, his personality a little bit more. And I was always under the impression that you want to stay away from those types of lawyers. You would rather have the silent, get down to business, get the job done type of lawyer. The one who's really going to care about you and your needs as opposed to the publicity that comes with something like this. So when you hear all of these allegations pressed against Watson in the manner, and, and supposedly there's more. Supposedly it's not just seven. There's nine separate lawsuits that are being filed against Watson. When everything is being done so publicly, does anybody else's BS meter start to tingle a little bit? Does anybody else's bullcrap meter start to fluctuate? Now, maybe that's just me. And obviously this is my rudimentary understanding of law. And I'm very interested to, to know actually what my father thinks about this. But does anybody else's BS meter start going off a little bit? Again, if he did it, that's horrible. I'm obviously on the side with the women. But the more and more these allegations come out and the more and more it's thrust into the public as in, instead of the private confidentiality uh, and disclosure between the client and the, and the lawyer, the more that that kind of stuff goes out into the public, the more this feels like a, 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 gra a, a cash grab against Deshaun Watson than it is Deshaun Watson actually having assault against these women. You know, it's like... You don't you just don't you don't necessarily know who to believe in that instance, at least if you're me. But I'm not but again, I'm not necessarily focused on whether or not he did it. I'm actually also intrigued by how does this affect Deshaun's situation in terms of demanding a trade with the Texans and him not getting it? How does this affect his future as a quarterback in the NFL? Because this isn't the first time that NFL players obviously have had sexual assault lawsuits filed upon them. If you remember last season or a couple of seasons ago, Antonio Brown just got traded to New England before a sexual assault lawsuit was faced against him and he was immediately cut from the New England Patriots and suspended for eight games. This isn't the first time in recent memory that this has happened. Now, could it actually could it actually benefit Deshaun Watson in the long run in terms of a football sense? In terms of okay, the Texans, let's, let's say this all turns out to be true, the Texans release Deshaun Watson. He doesn't have to play for the Texans anymore. But does this affect his ability to get a job in the NFL somewhere else? How does this affect other other franchises? How how does this affect other franchises' visibility of him? Like how do they see him? Do they again see him as a viable trading option? Do they want him on his team? Or do they want to pass on this now because of all these allegations? Because if this, again, if this turns out to be true, that's like playing with fire and you don't necessarily want that as part of your franchise. So A, does this affect his trade value moving forward? B, if this turns out to be true, do the Texans cut him or do they still try to keep him? And C, just generally speaking, what does this do for Deshaun Watson's future in the NFL as a quarterback? Now, again, the legality of everything, my, my BS meter is going off with how much of this evidence is being thrust into the public like this. Normally, I would like to think that the lawyers that are more private about these matters and actually value their clients' personal 
information and value these client and, and, and value the confidentiality between every single party involved as opposed to exposing everything in the public on social media where your name is very public. You all see where I'm going with that? I would assume that, you know, the, the quieter lawyer is going to do a better job. It's so, like, my my BS meter is, is going off. I, I, I don't know whether, you know, if Deshaun did it, he did it. If he didn't, he he didn't. I'm not necessarily not necessarily swung one way or another in terms of my opinion on this. I'm I'm interested in seeing how this affects his football future though. So between Tuesday's show and today's show, obviously a lot of free agency news has happened. On Monday uh, on Tuesday's show, I I went through and I named a bunch of key free agents and talked a little bit about each one of them. Maybe I'll I'll upload that video separately. <clears throat> to get like a gigantic free agency recap. But I did want to go through today and talk about some of the major signings that happened in the last couple of days in day two, day three of the free agency signing period. Talk a little bit about them. And there were a lot of signings that happened. Um, a, a lot more than it seems like are usual for the NFL. It seems like a lot of people are trading places this offseason. And uh, we'll get into all of that. Today, I basically scrolled down from the bottom and started my way up from there. So, um, Emmanuel Sanders, one year, $6 million with Buffalo. He's basically replacing John Brown, but at a little bit of a cheaper price. John Brown actually signed a one-year $3.5 million deal with the Raiders, I believe. Uh, somebody can fact-check me on that. I don't think I have his name down on this list, but Emmanuel Sanders replacing John Brown in Buffalo. He's going to be a reliable weapon for Josh Allen. They're going to add to the offense a little bit more. Good signing. Tyus Bowser, four-year, $22 million contract extension with Baltimore. Uh, good for Baltimore with the loss of uh, Matt Judon. You're going to need to pay Bowser a little bit more. He's now going to be your main linebacker on the team. You're going to probably want to address that need in the draft. I mean, Judon wasn't the most amazing player in the world, but he was definitely a core piece of that Baltimore's defense. So you're going to need to probably address that need in the draft. But uh, paying Tyus Bowser... A nice bit of contract money after his rookie contract. So this is his first big payday as a professional in the NFL. Good for Bowser. Good for Baltimore to keep him uh, and keep the nucleus of that Baltimore defense there. Shaquille Griffin, three years, $40 million signing with the Jaguars. This is a great pickup for Jacksonville. I like this move a lot. Uh, the Jaguars have really solidified their cornerback room with Sidney Jones resigning, or re-signing rather, and Griffin signing on Wednesday. One of the biggest problems with Jacksonville last year was their defensive backcourt was absolutely ravaged by injuries and inconsistent play. So uh, with C.J. Henderson, he's going to be coming back after his rookie season. He's hopefully going to be playing a little bit better. Sidney Jones re-signed. Now you have Shaquille Griffin to line up on the other side. Trey Herndon, I believe, is coming back as well. So you've really solidified your defensive backcourt in Jacksonville. Really good negotiating and really good decision-making from the Jaguars there. Trent Williams, uh, right tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. Massive six years, $138 million contract, $40 million guaranteed. I'm not sure how many years are avoidable in this contract. It didn't necessarily say when I went to when I went digging how many years are avoidable, but he only gets eight million dollars his first season. This is going to be a manageable contract for the 49ers. It's not as big and bad as everybody think it is. I don't know if this makes them the most expensive tackle in terms of, of pure money amount in the NFL, uh, but surely it's close at 138 million. Um, so good signing for 49ers. They're really solidifying their offensive line. They did have another offensive lineman sign uh, in Alex Smith and Alex Mack rather. So we'll get to that later. 
Uh, Malcolm Smith, one-year deal with the Browns. He hasn't really found a good home since his days in Seattle. He's played for uh, the Raiders a little bit. He played for, oh, he played for, <clears throat> I know he played for the Raiders. I can't remember who else he played for, but he's going to have a one-year deal with Cleveland. Again, one of the major problems with Cleveland last year, and this was really shown in the AFC divisional round against the Kansas City Chiefs. Their speed at the linebacker core was not that great. Malcolm Smith is a very, he's, he's, he's older, but he's a faster linebacker, very sideline to sideline. Good pickup for Cleveland. He's going to be a good mentor for that young uh, linebacker core that comes in. Jordan Lewis resigning with Dallas three years, $13.5 million. Good for Dallas to retain one of their free agent defensive backs. They'll probably still need to address that in the draft since they have so many defensive backs that, <clears throat> excuse me, that are free agents or were released. Uh, Chidobi Awuzie signed with the Bengals. Uh, we talked about that on Tuesday, and that was a key piece for the the, the Cowboys last season. So uh, Jordan Lewis, I guess, was the person who took Awuzie's money and stayed with the Cowboys. The Cowboys are still going to have to address that in the draft. Kyle Van Noy returning to New England two years, $12 million. Good signing for New England. You can imagine after his exit from Miami that he is hungry, and he will play hard for Belichick this season. Um, I, I still feel really bad for Kyle, uh, Kyle Van Noy. I, I really disagreed with uh, the Dolphins letting him go. So I'm sure he is ready to head back down to Miami and knock some people on their butts. Uh, Rodney Hudson traded to Arizona for a couple of picks. Cardinals are making a lot of moves. Going to try and sure up the offensive line, make sure Kyler Murray isn't running for his life back there. Uh, Alec Mack signs a three-year deal with San Francisco. We mentioned that a little bit earlier. Shirts up the offensive line for San Francisco. Uh, Mack was probably the best player on a little shaky Atlanta offensive line. Uh, so he's going to do a fine job under center or, or as the center for, I'm assuming it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, good signing for San Francisco again, really making sure that offensive line remains consistent. Hassan Reddick gets a one-year one deal with Carolina, adds some help to a Carolina front seven, uh, adds some depth and an opposing piece to Brian Burns, who had what should have been a Pro Bowl season last year. Curtis Samuel, three-year, $34.5 million, million dollar deal to Washington. Now, this is a great move. Somebody has suggested on the Washington front office frenzy segment, um, especially since Robinson got tagged, Godwin got tagged, Galladay is close to a deal, Marvin Jones Jr. has already been signed. Curtis Samuel is probably one of the best wide receivers that was still available in this free agency period. Um, great pickup for Washington, whoever's going to be the quarterback at this point. It seems like it's going to be Fitzpatrick or Heineke, depending on whether or not Washington gets a quarterback in the first round of the NFL draft. We talked about that ad nauseum on the show already, so I'm going to ignore that for now. But <clears throat> Curtis Samuel is going to be a really good person to throw to. Great signing by Washington there. Gabe Jackson traded to Seattle from Las Vegas. Russell Wilson finally getting his wish and getting some pass protection. A very good guard. Injuries have played Jackson for the last couple of seasons, but he came back last year and was able to have an above-average season. So Raiders moving on from his contract. Uh, Seattle's picking up a pretty heavy contract, but if it's going to protect Russell Wilson and keep Russell Wilson happy and finally end the saga with the Russell Wilson trade drama, uh, that's good enough for Seattle. So good signing there. Patrick Peterson signs with the Vikings, another team like the Jaguars that desperately needed a cornerback. Peterson will be a great mentor to Cameron Dantzler, third round pick last year for the Vikings who had a really good season when he wasn't injured. 
I really like that signing for the Vikings. A.J. Green going to Arizona. Good number two option across from DeAndre Hopkins. That Arizona offense is going to be really, really scary, uh, especially if they get a really nice tight end there. Uh, Kenyon Drake signed with the Las Vegas Raiders on a two-year deal, which is actually the next person I was going to talk about. Uh, so Kenyon Drake isn't going to be there anymore, but that offense in terms of passing is going to be really, really nice. Speaking of Kenyon Drake, again, goes to Las Vegas on a two-year deal. Not sure about this move particularly. Uh, I mean, you already have Josh Jacobs in the backfield. It does give you a one-two punch at running back, but you could have easily found somebody in the draft at a cheaper price and gotten him for longer. So I don't necessarily understand that signing from Las Vegas's perspective. Uh, I don't know how well Kenyon Drake performed last year. I think he had a pretty good season last year, so I, I don't necessarily know what this means for uh, Josh Jacobs and the Raiders at the running back position. Maybe they're going to go for a dual running back attack, kind of like Ronnie Brown, Ricky Williams back in the uh, Miami days. <clears throat> So uh, Kyle Rudolph signs a two-year deal with the Giants. Another one I predicted on the front office frenzy segment. So we're doing numbers today's boys. Uh, more indication of the get Evan Ingram off my football team movement that I have started for myself. Uh, get obviously I'm not a Giants fan, but I'm assuming that Giants fans would be more than happy to see Evan Ingram gone. Uh, Kyle Rudolph is a very reliable tight end. He has been a, re a reliable tight end for 10 plus years now in the NFL. Great signing by the Giants. Uh, Jared Cook, speaking of tight ends, signs a one-year deal with the Charger, replaces Hunter Henry, who signed with the Patriots earlier. Jacoby Brissett signs a one-year deal with the Dolphins. Again, Miami probably has one of the best backups in the league now. Looks like Flores is going to move forward with the interchangeable QB plan. If Tua is struggling, just plug in Brissett and... Uh, keep the offense going, provide a spark for the team. It looks like he's going to stick to that game plan, although Tua uh, is probably going to have a better season. He might not need it. Mitchell Trubisky signing with the Bills. We talked about that a little bit already, but to summarize, Mitchell Trubisky is there for a confidence reset. He's there to learn. He's there to not have to be the number one guy for a little while. And uh, the last thing that I found to be a big name was Miami signing Will Fuller to a one-year deal. He wouldn't have been my first choice uh, if I'm Miami as a wideout. I think they still addressed wide receiver in the draft, but if Fuller stays healthy, then this is a good signing, a good weapon for Tua. And that is essentially my day two slash day three, excuse me, slash day four recap in terms of NFL free agency. I might post the first one as well. We'll see. But that is basically every major signing or every important signing I thought that I saw in terms of transactions with the NFL in free agency over the last couple of days. Which signing stuck out to you? Which signing do you think was most important? Let me know. I'm very interested to see what you think and if I missed something that you think I overlooked. And now to end the show today, we're going to talk a little bit about March Madness. And, you know, I said to, to begin the show... I said that it was really difficult for me to make a bracket uh, this year. Extremely difficult. This is probably the most unsure I've ever been about a bracket since I, you know, I've, I've, I've done these bracket challenges, you know, all the way back in high school. So in like six or seven years, this is the most unsure I've been about my bracket in a long time. It was very difficult for me to choose because I not only have I not admittedly watched as much college basketball this season. I don't want to delegitimize de de my, my picks, but regardless, I haven't watched as much college basketball this season. Normally, I watch a ton. But not only that, but with the health and safety protocols with you know NCAA and especially with different conferences, different Power 5 conferences having different regulations and, and, and things and of that sort, um, 
it's been very inconsistent to tell where teams rank in terms of their power, in terms of their full ability. Sometimes they have games that would have been really important games have been postponed or canceled. And sometimes teams have played really good teams and have gotten blown out because they don't have all their personnel there. Very difficult for me to bring that into the equation when it comes to selecting a bracket this year. But I am going to let out my bracket anyway. Again, if you guys have filled out a bracket, feel free to bring it up on your mobile device or print it out or uh, find some way to bring it to you. Let's compare and contrast. Let's see what we got. Let's see who we're taking. And we're just going to go straight into it with the Sweet 16. Actually, I'm going to make sure that I bring up the, the PDF file just so I can make sure I have everything correctly here. Let me load this up here. Uh, my Sweet 16 from top to bottom Gonzaga, Creighton, Kansas, Iowa, Florida State, Michigan. Actually, I, I made a mistake in that. Uh, not Iowa. Whoopsie. That's a little bit embarrassing. I See, I told you I was literally making changes up until the start of the show. Uh, that's how inconsistent. That's how unsure I am about my bracket. So let me, let me start over here. My Sweet 16. Gonzaga, Creighton, Kansas, Oregon. Florida State, Michigan, Texas, Alabama, Baylor, Arkansas, Illinois, Houston, Villanova, Virginia Tech, Oklahoma State, West Virginia. So again, Gonzaga, Creighton, Kansas, Oregon, Florida State, Michigan, Texas, Alabama, Baylor, Arkansas, Illinois, Houston, Villanova, Virginia Tech, Oklahoma State, West Virginia. Uh, a lot of people are probably saying, well, Rutgers, where's Rutgers in that? I think Rutgers can make a serious run as well. I just decided to leave them off this bracket. I put them being a little bit stronger in my backup bracket. I made like four or five brackets. It was really a tough decision this year, guys. Really was a tough decision to make. Um, just starting from the top with the Western bracket, Gonzaga, um, I, I have them beating Norfolk State. They are no Norfolk State. Norfolk State. They barely hung on to beat Appalachian State uh, last night. I have them beating Oklahoma in the round of 32 and playing Creighton. Uh, some people are going to say, well, why do you have Creighton there? I, I, Creighton is a lot better than what Georgetown made them look like when they blew, uh, when they were blown out by Georgetown in the Big East final. Uh, Creighton is a lot better of a basketball team than many people would give them credit for. I think they're going to cruise. They're going to come back hard against USSB and they are going to beat Ohio, which Ohio is a, a pick that a lot of people have to upset Virginia. And I am really big on the idea that Virginia is a not as good of a basketball team as many people think, but also they haven't been practicing. They've been really inconsistent towards the latter half of the season. So I think Ohio has a really good chance to upset Virginia. That's a 13, four upset. Uh, but they will lose to Creighton in the round of 32. And then on the lower side of the Western bracket, you have Kansas and Oregon. I don't like Iowa as much as other people do. I think Oregon beats VCU, then beats o uh, Iowa in the round of 32 to play Kansas in the Sweet 16. Uh, Kansas has a pretty pretty easy path to the Sweet 16. Uh, they, they'll play Eastern Washington and then they'll play either USC or Drake. I wasn't convinced with Drake's performance. I think USC is going to roll them. But I think Kansas, you know, out of all the consistently good basketball, like elite basketball schools, I've been the most impressed by Kansas this season. Uh, I think they'll they'll go to the Sweet 16 and I think they'll beat Oregon in the, in the Sweet 16. 
face Gonzaga in the Elite Eight rounds. Then moving down to the Eastern bracket, uh, Michigan, Florida State, Texas, and Alabama were in my Sweet 16. Um, I like Florida State to beat Michigan. They This is a revenge game for, Mich- uh, for Florida State. Again, Michigan knocking out Florida State two years ago, the last time the tournament was played. So you always take the revenge in a revenge game if Florida State makes it that far. So if Florida State does make it that far, which they had an extremely disappointing loss to Georgia Tech in the ACC Championship Final, they turned the ball over like 26 times. Uh, this team is better than what they showed in that ACC championship game. Uh, they are going to be much, much better. I think that in reality, they're probably going to be able to not only beat UNC Greensboro, but they're also going to be able to, te- uh, to beat Georgetown or Colorado, which I have Georgetown upsetting Colorado. I, I, and I'm uh, this is probably the side of the bracket that I'm least least confident about because I think Colorado can absolutely make a run, but you can't deny how well Georgetown has played recently, especially with how they dominated Creighton and how they won the uh, the Big East title. Uh, Georgetown is playing great under Patrick Ewing. They're playing together. They're playing for their coach. It's going to be a dangerous team. I just think Florida State is a better team than Georgetown. Georgetown and Florida State, I have them playing each other in the round of 32. Florida State winning that game, then playing Michigan in the Sweet 16 and moving on to the Elite Eight. And at the bottom side of the bracket, uh, I have BYU, Texas, UConn, Alabama in the round of 32. Texas is going to be BYU. Alabama is going to be UConn. And Alabama is going to be Texas in the Sweet 16. I know this is all over the place. This is why I encourage you to bring out your brackets. So you, we're, we're essentially looking at the same thing. I'm sure if you're listening to this on in the podcast forum, you're like, wow, these are a lot of teams. How the hell am I ever going to follow this? Uh, bring out a bracket. It's going to help a lot. So all the way back up to the top of the bracket. We're going back to the southern region of the bracket. My sweet, my sweet 16, Baylor, Villanova, Arkansas, Virginia Tech, Illinois, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Houston. So in the southern region, we're Baylor, Villanova, Arkansas, Virginia Tech. I really like Virginia Tech. I think they're a slept-on team. I think they are going to make their way into the Sweet 16. They're gonna, not only going to upset Florida, who is not a very good basketball team uh, this year. I think they've had their inconsistencies. I think they're also going to beat Ohio State. Uh, the number two seed. So Virginia Tech is going to play Arkansas in the Sweet 16, going to lose to Arkansas. I feel like my the right side of my bracket, which is the South, the south and Midwest uh, regions, I think these are the safer picks. I ended up going really risky on the left side of the bracket and being more uh, uh, safe on the right side of the bracket. So Baylor going to play Villanova in the Sweet 16. Baylor is going to win and play Arkansas in the Elite Eight. On the Midwest side of the bracket, Again, Illinois, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Houston. I have uh, Illinois beating Georgia Tech in the round of 32. Oregon State's going to beat Oklahoma. That's a big upset that I'm picking. Oregon State going to beat Oklahoma. <clears throat> or excuse me. No, Oregon State going to beat Tennessee, then lose to Oklahoma State. Sorry, I misread that bracket. Oregon State going to beat Tennessee, lose to Oklahoma State in the round of 32. Oklahoma State going to play Illinois in the Sweet 16, lose to Illinois. Then down on the bottom side of the Midwest bracket, San Diego State going to lose to Syracuse. I like Syracuse. Maybe I'm a little bit ACC biased, but um, uh, Syracuse looking really good as well. Going to beat San Diego State. West Virginia is going to beat Syracuse. However, move on to the Sweet 16 where they play Houston, lose to Houston. And of course, Houston is going to beat Cleveland State, going to beat Clemson in the round of 32 and uh, beat West Virginia in the Sweet 16. So the Elite Eight, I have Baylor, Arkansas, Illinois, Houston, 
uh, Alabama, Florida State, Kansas, Gonzaga. And I, I, I always feel like very unsure when I have all these top seeds making it further into the tournament because it's like, man, you're just picking all the top seeds. But realistically, I think the top seeds this season are probably as sure a bet as anything else. So in the Elite Eight, I have Alabama beating Florida State. I have Gonzaga beating Kansas. I've got Baylor beating Arkansas. And I have Illinois beating Houston, which means the final four is Gonzaga, Baylor, Alabama, Illinois. Out of those two, I think Gonzaga and Baylor are going to be playing in the national championship in which Baylor wins the national championship. I'm not sold on Gonzaga. They had a fantastic season, but I am very of the mindset. I mean, there's a reason that there hasn't been an undefeated tournament champion since 1976. The last team to even be remotely close was that Kentucky team from uh, the early 2010s. So there hasn't really, there's been a reason why there's never been an, there hasn't been an undefeated championship or undefeated champion since 1976. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think Gonzaga is going to fall to the pressure in some capacity. And I think Baylor is just a better basketball team at the end of the day. I like Baylor as the national championship uh, winner by score 64 to 62. That is the way that my bracket is set up. I don't know, maybe I should get a link or something to this bracket for you all to understand it a little bit more clearly. I apologize for that being so disoriented, uh, disoriented, but I really had no other way to kind of explain the picks in the bracket. Uh, let me know who you guys are taking. I Again, I am so unsure about this bracket. I am so unsure about this bracket. I This was the hardest bracket pick that I've had to make in at least the last six or seven years. Let me know who you guys are taking. Who do you think is going to win the national championship? And with that being said, that is the end of the show today. Thank you so much for listening, for watching. And until next time, you've been listening to the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. And on that note, stay hard-headed, but have a nice day.